Section 3 of The Rough Riders by Theodore Roosevelt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by William Peck. Chapter 2, Part 1, To Cuba. Up to the last moment, we were spending every ounce of energy we had in getting the regiment into shape. Fortunately, there were a good many vacancies among the officers, as the original number of 780 men was increased to 1,000 so that two companies were organized entirely anew. This gave the chance to promote some first-rate men. One of the most useful members of the regiment was Dr. Rob Church, formerly a Princeton football player. He was appointed as assistant surgeon, but acted throughout almost all the Cuban campaign as the regimental surgeon. It was Dr. Church who first gave me an idea of Bucky O'Neill's versatility, for I happened to overhear them discussing Aryan word roots together and then sliding off into a review of the novels of Balzac and a discussion as to how far Balzac could be said to be the founder of the modern realistic school of fiction. Church had led almost as varied a life as Bucky himself, his career including incidents as far apart as exploring and elk hunting in the Olympic Mountains, cooking in a lumber camp, and serving as doctor on an immigrant ship. Woodbury Kane was given a commission and also Horace Devereux of Princeton. Kane was older than the other college men who entered in the ranks, and as he had the same good qualities to start with, this resulted in his ultimately becoming perhaps the most useful soldier in the regiment. He escaped wounds and serious sickness, and was able to serve through every day of the regiment's existence. Two of the men, made second lieutenants by promotion from the ranks while in San Antonio, were John Greenway, and noted Yale football player and catcher honor baseball nine, and David Goodrich, for two years captain of the Harvard crew. They were young men, Goodrich having only just graduated, while Greenway, whose father had served with honor in the Confederate Army, had been out of Yale three or four years. They were natural soldiers, and it would be well-nigh impossible to overestimate the amount of good they did the regiment. They were strapping fellows, entirely fearless, modest, and quiet. Their only thought was how to perfect themselves in their own duties and how to take care of the men under them so as to bring them to the highest point of soldierly perfection. I grew steadily to rely upon them as men who could be counted upon with absolute certainty, not only in every emergency, but in all routine work. They were never so tired as not to respond with eagerness to the slightest suggestion of doing something new, whether it was dangerous or merely difficult and laborious. They not merely did their duty, but were always on watch to find out some new duty which they could construe to be theirs. Whether it was policing camp, or keeping guard, or preventing straggling on the march, or procuring food for the men, or seeing that they took care of themselves in camp, or performing some feat of unusual hazard in the fight, no call was ever made upon them to which they did not respond with eager thankfulness for being given the chance to answer it. Later on, I worked them as hard as I knew how, and the regiment will always be their debtor. Greenway was from Arkansas. We could have filled up the whole regiment many times over from the South Atlantic and Gulf states alone, but were only able to accept a very few applicants. One of them was John McElhenney of Louisiana, a planter and manufacturer, a big game hunter and book lover, who could have had a commission in the Louisiana troops but who preferred to go as a trooper in the Rough Riders because he believed we would surely see fighting. He could have commanded any influence, social or political, he wished. 
but he never asked a favor of any kind he went into one of the new mexican troops and by his high qualities and zealous attention to duty speedily rose to a sergeancy and finally won his lieutenancy for gallantry in action the tone of the officers mess was very high everyone seemed to realize that he had undertaken most serious work they all earnestly wished for a chance to distinguish themselves and fully appreciated that they ran the risk not merely of death but of what was infinitely worse namely failure at the crisis to perform duty well and they strove earnestly so to train themselves and the men under them as to minimize the possibility of such disgrace every officer and every man was taught continually to look forward to the day of battle eagerly but with an entire sense of the drain that would then be made upon his endurance and resolution they were also taught that before the battle came the rigorous performance of the countless irksome duties of the camp and the march was demanded from all alike and that no excuse would be tolerated for failure to perform duty very few of the men had gone into the regiment lightly and the fact that they did their duty so well may be largely attributed to the seriousness with which these eager adventurous young fellows approached their work this seriousness and a certain simple manliness which accompanied it had one very pleasant side during our entire time of service i never heard in the officers mess a foul story or a foul word and though there was occasional hard swearing in moments of emergency yet even this was the exception the regiment attracted adventurous spirits from everywhere our chief trumpeter was a native american our second trumpeter was from the mediterranean i think an italian who had been a soldier of fortune not only in egypt but in the french army in southern china two excellent men were osborne a tall australian who had been an officer in the new south wales mounted rifles and cook an englishman who had served in south africa both when the regiment disbanded were plaintive in expressing their fond regret that it could not be used against the transvaal boers one of our best soldiers was a man whose real and assumed names i for obvious reasons conceal he usually went by a nickname which i will call tennessee he was a tall gaunt fellow with a quiet and distinctly sinister eye who did his duty excellently especially when a fight was on and who being an expert gambler always contrived to reap a rich harvest after payday when the regiment was mustered out he asked me to put a brief memorandum of his services on his discharge certificate which i gladly did he much appreciated this and added in explanation you see colonel my real name isn't smith it's yancey i had to change it because three or four years ago i had a little trouble with a gentleman and er well in fact i had to kill him and the district attorney he had it in for me and so i just skipped the country and now if it ever should be brought up against me i should like to show your certificate as to my character the course of frontier justice sometimes moves in unexpected zigzags so i did not express the doubt i felt as to whether my certificate that he had been a good soldier would help him much if he was tried for a murder committed three or four years previously the men worked hard and faithfully as a rule in spite of the number of rough characters among them they behaved very well one night a few of them went on a spree and proceeded to paint san antonio red one was captured by the city authorities and we had to leave him behind us in jail the others we dealt with ourselves in a way that prevented a repetition of the occurrence the men speedily gave one another nicknames largely conferred in a spirit of derision their bases lying in contrast a brave but fastidious member of a well-known eastern club 
who was serving in the ranks was christened tough ike and his bunky the man who shared his shelter tent who was a decidedly rough cow puncher gradually acquired the name of the dude one unlucky and simple-minded cow puncher who had never been east of the great plains in his life unwarily boasted that he had an aunt in new york and ever afterward went by the name of metropolitan bill a huge red-headed irishman was named sheeny solomon a young jew who developed into one of the best fighters in the regiment accepted with entire equanimity the name of pork chop we had quite a number of professional gamblers who i am bound to say usually made good soldiers one who was almost abnormally quiet and gentle was called hellroarer while another who in point of language and deportment was his exact antithesis was christened prayerful james while the officers and men were learning their duties and learning to know one another colonel wood was straining every nerve to get our equipments an effort which was complicated by the tendency of the ordnance bureau to send whatever we really needed by freight instead of express finally just as the last rifles revolvers and saddles came we were ordered by wire at once to proceed by train to tampa instantly all was joyful excitement we had enjoyed san antonio and were glad that our regiment had been organized in the city where the alamo commemorates the death fight of crockett bowie and their famous band of frontier heroes all of us had worked hard so that we had no time to be homesick or downcast but we were glad to leave the hot camp where every day the strong wind sifted the dust through everything and to start for the gathering place of the army which was to invade cuba our horses and men were getting into good shape we were well enough equipped to warrant our starting on the campaign and every man was filled with dread of being out of the fighting we had a pack train of a hundred and fifty mules so we had close on to one thousand two hundred animals to carry of course our train was split up into sections seven all told colonel wood commanding the first three and i the last four the journey by rail from san antonio to tampa took just four days and i doubt if anybody who was on the trip will soon forget it to occupy my few spare moments i was reading m demolens superiorite de anglo-saxons m demolens in giving the reasons why the english-speaking peoples are superior to those of continental europe lays much stress upon the way in which militarism deadens the power of individual initiative the soldier being trained to complete suppression of individual will while his faculties become atrophied in consequence of his being merely a cog in a vast and perfectly ordered machine i can assure the excellent french publicist that american militarism at least of the volunteer sort has points of difference from the militarism of continental europe the battalion chief of a newly raised american regiment when striving to get into a war which the american people have undertaken with buoyant and light-hearted indifference to detail has positively unlimited opportunity for the display of individual initiative and is in no danger whatever either of suffering from unhealthy suppression of personal will or of finding his faculties of self-help numb by becoming a cog in a gigantic and smooth-running machine if such a battalion chief wants to get anything or go anywhere he must do it by exercising every pound of resource inventiveness and audacity he possesses the help advice and superintendence he gets from outside will be of the most general not to say superficial character if he is a cavalry officer he has got to hurry and push the purchase of his horses plunging into and out of the meshes of red tape as best he can 
he will have to fight for his rifles and his tents and his clothes he will have to keep his men healthy largely by the light that nature has given him when he wishes to embark his regiment he will have to fight for his railway cars exactly as he fights for his transport when it comes to going across the sea and on his journey his men will or will not have food and his horses will or will not have water and hay and the trains will or will not make connections in exact correspondence to the energy and success of his own efforts to keep things moving straight it was on sunday may twenty ninth that we marched out of our hot windy dusty camp to take the cars for tampa colonel wood went first with the three sections under his special care i followed with the other four the railway had promised us a forty-eight hours trip but our experience in loading was enough to show that the promise would not be made good there were no proper facilities for getting the horses on or off the cars or for feeding or watering them and there was endless confusion and delay among the railway officials i marched my four sections over in the afternoon the first three having taken the entire day to get off we occupied the night as far as the regiment itself was concerned we worked an excellent system wood instructing me exactly how to proceed so as to avoid confusion being a veteran campaigner he had all along insisted that for such work as we had before us we must travel with the minimum possible luggage the men had merely what they could carry on their own backs and the officers very little more my own roll of clothes and bedding could be put on my spare horse the mule train was to be used simply for food forage and spare ammunition as it turned out we were not allowed to take either it or the horses it was dusk when i marched my long files of dusty troopers into the station yard i then made all dismount excepting the troop which i first intended to load this was brought up to the first freight car here every man unsaddled and left his saddle bridle and all that he did not himself need in the car each individual's property being corded together a guard was left in the car and the rest of the men took the naked horses into the pens to be fed and watered the other troops were loaded in the same way in succession with each section there was thus a couple of baggage cars in which the horse gear the superfluous baggage and the travel rations were carried and i also put aboard not only at starting but at every other opportunity what oats and hay i could get so as to provide against accidents for the horses by the time the baggage cars were loaded the horses of the first section had eaten and drunk their fill and we loaded them on cattle cars the officers of each troop saw to the loading taking a dozen picked men to help them for some of the wild creatures half broken and fresh from the ranges were with difficulty driven up the chutes meanwhile i superintended not merely my own men but the railroad men and when the delays of the latter and their inability to understand what was necessary grew past bearing i took charge of the trains myself so as to ensure the horse cars of each section being coupled with the baggage cars of that section we worked until long past midnight before we got the horses and baggage aboard and then found that for some reason the passenger cars were delayed and would not be out for some hours in the confusion and darkness men of the different troops had become scattered and some had drifted off to the vile drinking booths around the stockyards so i sent details to search the latter while the trumpeters blew the assembly until the first sergeants could account for all the men then the troops were arranged in order and the men of each lay down where they were by the tracks and in the brush to sleep until morning at dawn the passenger trains arrived 
the senior captain of each section saw to it that his own horses troopers and baggage were together and one by one they started off i taking the last in person captain capron had at the very beginning shown himself to be simply invaluable from his extraordinary energy executive capacity and mastery over men and i kept his section next to mine so that we generally came together at the different yards the next four days were very hot and very dusty i tried to arrange so the sections would be far enough apart to allow each ample time to unload feed water and load the horses at any stopping place before the next section could arrive there was enough delay and failure to make connections on the part of the railroad people to keep me entirely busy not to speak of seeing at the stopping places that the inexperienced officers got enough hay for their horses and that the water given to them was both ample in quantity and drinkable it happened that we usually made our longest stops at night and this meant we were up all night long two or three times a day i got the men buckets of hot coffee and when we made a long enough stop they were allowed liberty under the supervision of the non-commissioned officers some of them abused the privilege and started to get drunk they were promptly handled with the necessary severity in the interests of the others for it was only by putting an immediate check to every form of lawlessness or disobedience among the few men who were inclined to be bad that we were enabled to give full liberty to those who would not abuse it everywhere the people came out to greet us and cheer us they brought us flowers they brought us watermelons and other fruits and sometimes jugs and pails of milk all of which we greatly appreciated we were traveling through a region where practically all the older men had served in the confederate army and where the younger men had all their lives long drunk in the endless tales told by their elders at home and at the crossroads taverns and in the courthouse squares about the cavalry of forrest and morgan and the infantry of jackson and hood the blood of the old men stirred to the distant breath of battle the blood of the young men leaped hot with eager desire to accompany us the older women who remembered the dreadful misery of war the misery that presses its iron weight most heavily on the wives and the little ones looked sadly at us but the young girls drove down in bevies arrayed in their finery to wave flags and farewell to the troopers and to beg cartridges and buttons as mementos everywhere we saw the stars and stripes and everywhere we were told half laughing by grizzled ex-confederates that they had never dreamed in the bygone days of bitterness to greet the old flag as they now were greeting it and to send their sons as now they were sending them to fight and die under it End of chapter two part one